In these last days, the Bible predicts a turning away from biblical truth. In order to combat false teachings that are running rampant and a growing lack of biblical literacy, Behold Israel provides weekly public readings of Scripture to equip you with the pure Word of God, read in an international community with interaction and application. Each week, we host different guests from all walks of life. Our original readings can be found on our Behold Israel community channel on YouTube or on our Facebook channel. These are audio versions created to make it convenient for your busy schedule. Now, on to our readings. Shalom l'kulchem. Peace and greetings to all of you. This is Pastor Mike Golay with Public Reading of Scripture, our weekly reading and listening to God's Word. Right now we're going through Proverbs and we're launching a brand new book tonight, and it's the Gospel of John. Look for the seven signs. John had a theme of seven, and you can see that in the Gospel with the seven signs and certainly the book of Revelation. Seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, and there are other sevens as well. It's the perfect number of God and God completed creation in seven days. And there were seven spirits. And we are going to rejoice in the word of God tonight. We're going to pray for Israel. We are going to reflect on what God's word is. And tonight we're going to bring our director of tours, Jason Comans, director of tours and conferences. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, everybody knows who you are, and uh, people have seen you before, and they'll see you again and again. We are uh, committed to God's Word and reading it and developing. And as I was thinking about our new book tonight, do you realize, I believe we've been through all, almost every book of the New Testament and many of the Old Testament books, even the Long Prophets. And so it's amazing what you can get done if you just put dedication and time on the table and just go for it. So. Jason, will you open us in prayer, and then we're going to jump straight into Proverbs chapter 19 and pick up where we left off last week. All right. Well, our Father, we just commit this next portion of time to you. It is really cool to see how just weekly, and I look over the last few years that just passively how much of the Bible we've covered. Just, you know, once a week, almost 52 times a year, we do this, and we've just covered so much of the Bible, and it's it's exciting to see how easily that happens. We get to hear it out loud, uh, hearing each other read when we're on here and seeing how it blesses the hearers uh, worldwide too. So we ask for your blessing on this time with the, the technology, uh, the reading of the scripture, and that as we read aloud, uh, your spirit uh, would cause uh, your, your, your eternal truths to, to stick out to us and that they would sink in. And for each listener, that maybe you have something Maybe there's something that would just stick with your word being living and active, God. Maybe there's something that'll stick with each listener in a different way. So we pray that we would absorb your word in this time of reading. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we're going to read two Proverbs, two chapters, 19 and 20. So prepare your Bibles with that if you want to read along. We're using the New King James Version. And then we're going to pause in the middle of that before we go over to John. And Jason and I are going to lead in prayer tonight and maybe give a few updates about what's going on in Israel and BI Connect, just brief ones, and we'll pray. So let's go straight into it. Proverbs chapter 19. This is something I, I had a kind of a revelation earlier today. I take daily vitamins and I had this kind of vision of, you know, vitamins make you function to your maximum capacity, it gives the body what it needs on all levels. 
not only to avoid disease and issues, but to perform well in life and to think straight and to be able to be the best you can be. And I was thinking, you know, the Proverbs are a perfect example of spiritual vitamins, concentrated vitamins. So let's just sit back and let the Spirit of God speak to us right where we're at as we read this. Better is a, the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Also, it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge, and he sins who hastens with his feet. The foolishness of a man twists his way, and his heart frets against the Lord. Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. Many entreat the favor of the nobility and Every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. <laughs> All the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. A false witness will not go unpunished. Notice that's the second time it says that. And he who speaks lies shall perish. Luxury is not fitting for a fool much less for a servant to rule over princes. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. A foolish son is the ruin of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Houses and riches are an inheritance from Fathers, but a prudent, prudent wife is from the Lord. Laziness casts one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. <laughs> Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment. For if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. What is desired in a man is kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. A lazy man buries his head in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Strike a scoffer and the simple will become wary. Rebuke one who has understanding and he will discern knowledge. You see the spiritual vitamins here? Wow. He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A disreputable witness scorns justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Judgments are prepared for scoffers and beatings for the backs of fools.
Harsh, direct words. Now to chapter 20. Proverbs 20. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The wrath of a king, like the roaring of a lion, whoever provokes him to anger, sins against his own life. It is honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Counsel in the heart of a man of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. A king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Do not love sheep, lest you do not love sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. It is good for nothing, cries the buyer. But when he has gone his way, then he boasts. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Take the garment of one who is surety for a stranger and hold it as a pledge when it is for a seductress. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. Plans are established by counsel. By, wow, by wise counsel wage war. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord, and dishonest scales are not good. A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy, and afterward to reconsider his vows. A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Mercy and truth preserve the king, and by loving kindness he upholds his throne. The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray head. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. So rich in vitamins and minerals here, one of the themes that I saw was deception and lies and how the Lord hates that. Back then they used to use scales. They'd have weights and then they would measure. And still they do that today in the Middle East. And you can go, you could put false weights on there. You know, you can change the system and get more money at the end. I also noticed that it says here uh, in the previous chapter that 
a wealthy person has a lot of friends. And what's obvious here, and I hope it's obvious, is that if you have status, fame, and especially money, people flock to you like magnets. Once you lose that, you have no friends. And so they are no friends at all. And I don't know if any of you have ever had status or money and then lost it. And then you really realize who your true friends are. I had a friend that, ha that had that happen here in Minneapolis. He was a multimillionaire and his companies collapsed. He had a lot of friends. A lot of friends came over to his house and enjoyed the pool and the tennis court and the horses. But after he lost it all and he went through one year of horrible suffering, he started investing again and got his companies back up and then the friends returned. But at that time, he was too wise. He knew which ones were true and which ones were false. And so I've learned here, make sure the friends that you do have are real and for life. And the only way that that's going to happen is if you're truly honest with them and keep those scales straight. Jason, what did you take away? Well, I mean... Two things that really stand out to me, and one in general is that the author is someone speaking from experience. This is someone who has gained this wisdom through life experience and also illumination from the Holy Spirit, but just this is someone who takes note and gains wisdom from all of the different scenarios. I mean, as you read through Proverbs, it kind of seems like it just touches on every scenario of life. And in here, it's specific in a, from a few different angles, but throughout the rest of the book, it hits on every angle you can, it seems. I mean, here you have injustices, you have dishonesty, you have hypocrisy, but elsewhere in the book, it hits on the angles of immorality, adultery. I mean, even touches on dishonoring your parents and honoring your parents here. And so it's just amazing to me that within this book, you do have all of these nuggets and reminders and convictions of, of spirit-led truths that were revealed to this author of just he's speaking from experience he's not saying because he's here and we're all down here he he's come to recognize these things but what specifically stood out to me was actually in chapter 19 and verse 11 when it said the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger that's the first part of the verse and you know later on this is reiterated in the new testament be slow to anger you can be angry yet don't sin it's not a sin to be angry but having discretion shows you how to harness when you are angry so that you yourself don't find yourself needing to confess things when the whole thing's done. But the second part of that, I think, is directly connected. And he says, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. And this overlook isn't a pretending that a wrong was never done or a sin was never committed. It's not lying to yourself. But it's to his glory to be able to, I think, reflect the heart of God. And just that is just like the psalmist says, who could stand, O Lord, if you numbered our sins? And I think of this right here as it's a glory of, of a man to overlook a transgression is you have discretion first, and then you're able to look through the proper lens to also forgive, love, restore, to overlook a transgression, to move forward as you ought to. So that's something that really stood out to me because how you deal with that anger is going to directly affect how you deal with the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, speaking of the vitamins and minerals, you know, nations that are foolish, 
this, all of the things that are mentioned here about foolishness and the consequences of foolishness, we see in nations. So as the leader leads, so the people go. And I won't even be ashamed to say this, but for 20, 30 years, the, the Palestinians have embraced foolishness, evil, deception, and still do. And you can see the consequences, and it's not enough to stop them. The mm -hmm. consequences, even though they're unbearable, their hatred far exceeds their ability to make wise decisions. In fact, their, fate, their hatred for Israel exceeds the love they have for themselves. And when you get to that point of evil, you get to this kind of, you cross this line and it leaves the world no other choice but to destroy the evil. Solomon understood that. And his father, David, even better, who secured the country so yeah. Solomon didn't have to go to war. And he knew. And, you know, what we're going to do now is instead of open up the chat, Jason and I are going to lead in prayer. Right now, the Israelis are literally at max capacity with their military, with their arms, with their assets. And Hezbollah in the north, which is basically an Iranian proxy of well-trained soldiers, very well-trained, have been assaulting Israel. And it looks like this is going to escalate. And everybody gets nervous and anxious, there's no doubt. But I want all of you just to pause right now and just join us in prayer, because this is one of those moments where we know God has his hand on Israel, but it doesn't mean that people won't die. It doesn't mean that there's gonna, not going to be any atrocities. And we would love for God's hand to intervene. And now is the chance to do that right here in this forum. And it's not even something that we have to spend hours with. We can just agree in prayer. That's the first thing. And second thing is there are chats open on Facebook and YouTube. Use them. Write down your prayers. God reads, listens, and hears the silent prayers of our heart. So we're going to pray briefly, and then we're going to jump into John. Lord, I ask right now, as we've read these Proverbs, and the Israeli leaders understand these Proverbs, because that's, the, that's their book, was given to them originally, and they're applying many of these principles. I pray right now that you will give divine knowledge, understanding, discernment and discretion to all of the leaders. No one enjoys taking human life except evil people. Evil people do because they're evil. The only option is to take that out. And so, Lord, we pray that you would guide, that you would direct. And we're talking about non-believers mostly here, and we thank you for many of them coming and expressing their fascination for who you are. You're their God. We know that in the last day, when you return, that their eyes will turn to you and they will embrace you, Jesus. But for now, we pray that you would use your body of Jesus, use the word of God, draw people to, to, to yourselves. And I actually pray for the impossible prayer, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihadists, Hamas, Fatah, all of these groups, and also the groups that the United States is going against in Syria, that you would open up their eyes it seems like you like to use visions and dreams, and we pray that that would be the case, that you would lead these hateful people to an impossible encounter of transformation that only you can provide. 
in Jesus' name. Yeah, Lord, something else that Solomon causes to surface here is that wise kings deal with evil. And it's not just for the nation of Israel or the people of Israel. But he, I mean, Solomon himself was a direct recipient of such dealings. But Lord, even today, this principle stands that wise kings deal with evil. And Lord, we, thinking of Israel right now, thinking of the situation they're in, we recognize that on a practical scale, they are dealing with evil right now. They are confronted by it from multiple angles, and it does seem to be escalating. And we ask that in their endeavor to eradicate it from the region, you might protect them. The Lord, at the end of this, if there ever is such a thing, not only when the evil is dealt with, we pray that just like the prophet Ezekiel, you spoke to the prophet Ezekiel that the hearts of the people might be returned to you. And so we make these requests known to you now. Lord, we ask for your protection over your people and your land. We acknowledge that the ugly reality of warfare is that there is death. There is loss. We pray through all of this mess and these events, Lord, recognizing you as the one who is still the sustainer and the keeper of your, your people and your nation. We pray that in all of this, their hearts would, the hearts of the people would return to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter 1. We'll go straight into it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. By the way, the Hebrew concept of the Hebrew word davar, word, was deified among rabbis. And so John specifically selects that concept here, and he connects Jesus as being God. Jesus is the word, and you'll see that in just a minute. But there's also one thing. They, they use the word memra, which is an Aramaic word, which really expanded on the Hebrew word davar, really deified the Bible or the word of God being God himself in some kind of metaphoric way. John is going to do the impossible here and connect Jesus with that concept and in a way violate rabbinical tradition. But keep in mind also, that the Greeks had a concept of this as well. It was called logos, and that's the word used here in Greek. And the Greek philosophers and the Greek teachers of religion had a very similar concept that logos was the emanation and the communication of the gods. And so it works both ways here. It's like a double-edged sword, verse two. He, that's the word, He's personifying Memra, Davar, Logos. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So far, so good with the rabbinical and the Greek and Roman mindset. They're like, yeah, this is exactly what we believe. Watch what happens here. Now he changes subject. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all might through him believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light 
That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now watch this. Drum roll, please. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Which, by the way, violated the Gnostic philosophies because they didn't believe that flesh could be good, and it specifically uses that ter terminology. And so people are very interested as they read this in the first century. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He says his name. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. See how John connects Jesus with God? Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Oh, what a claim, folks. What a claim. Now, those who were sent from the, were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is pre preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to be John's role and to be able to introduce Jesus to the people? 
The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Yonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Do you like that Israeli directness? Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said, and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. How'd you like it if Jesus said that to you? I saw you. I know who you are. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. If that doesn't run a shiver down your spine, I don't know what will. Let's continue. John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. 
When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? It sounds like a lot of conversations I've had with friends. You're telling me you're going to do this? It took me this long to figure this out. But as we're going to see here, he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. So you may not see this as clearly as I do, and this is kind of one of those strange observations, but the kind of wine that Jesus created from this water, this miracle, it was so good that the host was saying, why did you bring out the good wine? Everybody's drank some and, you know, the typical alcohol deadens a little bit of the taste. And it's a shame because this is the better wine. You should have put it out at the beginning so that everybody would have been impressed and said, wow, amazing wine. And this is something that a lot of people miss. Jesus, when he does transform, not necessarily at the beginning of our lives. For some, we don't come to faith until many years later. Whatever he does, whatever miracle he does, he does it the best. His wine is the best. His transformation is the best. He is the best. He is the top. Uh, he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. There is no one that compares to him. There's no deed that compares to what he's done and what he will do. No one, we say in English, no one holds a candle to Jesus. No one comes close. And for me, this is one of those examples of when Jesus does something, it wasn't just wine. It was really good wine. And the text brings that out with the frustration of the host criticizing the people that brought this. Now, of course, he didn't know the background. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said that. But Jason, what's one thing you took away? Well, yeah, I mean... Had it been mediocre wine or meh, I think everyone would have forgotten pretty quickly what Jesus had done. The fact that he did, he outdid all of, not just exceeded their expectations, but he outdid what they thought possible is what really stapled in to their minds and to their reality of what this guy is capable of doing. I mean, I think that that particular instance is recorded for a reason that, that the, the host was like, why are we now finally bringing out the best when everyone's kind of settled in and they've already had their strong drink? Well, they've already had their wine. Well, 
like you said, he does it the best. And we're going to see that with other miracles throughout the gospels too, is he does things in such a way where you can't separate him from deity. He does things in such a way that he's perfect at what he does, even in bodily form. Mm -hmm. And something else that really stuck out to me, because as God, he can do that. Something else that stuck out to me is just, you see, though we know that Jesus set aside, willingly set aside some of his divine attributes, as Paul talks about in Philippians, he willingly set certain things aside when he became man and took on flesh to complete the Father's will, you still see in his human character the perfect balance of who God is. And you see that when he goes into the temple and he has a righteous anger about what's taking place in his Father's house. You see his actions towards everyone. It was a righteous anger. He didn't sin in the process. So you see this perfect balance of Jesus' patience, his grace, his sympathy towards man, yet he also has a perfect balance of righteous anger and justice. And it's interesting because we looked at how someone, when they're angry, needs to have discernment in the process, because if not, we're going to make fools of ourselves in the process. Right. And you look at how Jesus didn't lack any discernment. He acted on his anger only when it was necessary and it shows that you can act in righteous anger and not sin in the process and he accomplished it yeah absolutely and with this kind of it kind of leads directly into our final prayer for israel there is a righteous anger mm -hmm. and there are miracles i want everybody to consider one miracle that you're praying for israel one miracle i want you to write it down in the chat what would be one miracle that you would love to see God do in the Middle East right now. And put that in there. And that we're just going to give to the Lord. And righteous anger. That there would be a way somehow, miraculously even, for righteous anger and justice to be executed on the evildoer. Just like it says in Romans chapter 13. God raises up people to execute justice on the evildoer. Doesn't sit back, laissez-faire, passive. Oh, no. And the proof of that is the second coming, the Armageddon battle in Jerusalem when the nations come against him. So we're going to close there. That's the way we're going to pray is that you're going to write your prayers right there in the chat. And before we do this, I'm going to just announce a few things. Then we're going to have the ironic blessing. Keep in mind that if you're not on Telegram, scan this QR code, open up your camera on your device, and then go to the site. And uh, if you have Telegram installed, it'll automatically uh, subscribe you to the channel. That's Amir's Telegram channel for news, sometimes literally every minute, certainly on the hour or every few hours. And uh, there's a web version of it. If you just want to go to one place, not necessarily have the app or the notifications, you're going to scan that code there. You can always review this video later and if it disappears too fast. And subscribe to our newsletter. You go to the main page and click the subscribe button. You'll be there. Also, subscribe to this channel if you're on YouTube. And if you haven't bought a copy of Discovering Daniel yet, the pre-sales is still going. Every book that you buy pre-sale goes towards maximizing this book getting on secular shelves 
and creates interest in the non-believing world, which of course leads to salvations and people coming to faith. So order your copy there. Jason, I want to thank you. You're always available, it seems. And we'll continue these as we continue throughout the year. We'll see how far we can get in many books of the Bible. So if you're comfortable, just put your hands out, receive this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And it's with that peace that we close right now. Jason, can you just say a brief word of prayer and then we will head out. Yeah, Lord, I'm just thinking about uh, the miracles you're capable of performing. It didn't just stop during your earthly ministry. You work miracles today. You are a miracle worker. And Lord, the miracle I ask for is that uh, through the exposure of the global uh, globalist agenda and the ideology of of the Palestinian controlled territories and these people to obliterate your people from the face of the earth, that it would be exposed. And the miracle I'm asking for is that it would resonate in the heart. This exposure would affect the hearts of this next generation that's being so brainwashed to think and believe so much falsehood. So my, I'm asking for that miracle uh, specifically uh, because it directly affects the nation and people of Israel. Lord, protect us in our endeavors uh, individually, but also collectively as a ministry uh, this week as Behold Israel over the course of the next week. Give Amir sleep, give his family peace, help them to be lights to the unbelieving Jewish people around them that throughout this process, they would be ready to share your love and truth with those in their immediate circle. In Jesus' name. Amen. We say Shalom ul Hitraot, which means Goodbye and see you later. Next week, we will continue in the Proverbs in John 3 and 4. Until then, continue to listen, continue to follow the Lord's leading as we all seek to have more of him and less of ourselves.